envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, rivalry not sincerely, but thinking, of, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. pray. Lord Jesus. Forever faithful daddy, I've come before you this morning uh, feeling weak and uh, unable, and yet you are faithful uh, forever sitting upon your throne. You hold all things um, in your hands, Lord Jesus, and so... Um, your word says that it does not go out and come back void, but it accomplishes that which you purpose, Lord Jesus. So we as your people eagerly anticipate to come sit under your teaching that you would uh, show us what you would have for us this morning, that we would um, desire to see um, the gospel high and lifted up, that your name would go forth in the city of Windsor in northern Colorado and by your grace um, to the ends of the earth, Lord Jesus, and uh, Lord, we want to be about that this morning. We want to sit in awe of who you are, Lord Jesus, that we would um, have great uh, faith in the message, not the messenger. Lord Jesus, I am weak and feeble, and so I pray that you use my blabbering mouth for the glory of your name and the good of your people this morning. Um, anoint... Um, this time, have your way with us, incline our hearts to receive what you would have for us this morning. We love you, in your name we pray, amen, amen. Good morning, my name is Jason, um, usually I'd say something like it's a pleasure to open up God's word, but I don't really feel myself this morning, so um, if you're going to give me grace, I just ask that you give me a little more grace. Um, this morning my stomach's feeling upset or something, but um, um, usually um, God has more in his teaching for me than he does for his people whenever I seem to open up God's word, and so um, he's going to be faithful regardless of my faithfulness, of faithlessness, and so um, I'm excited to um, open up Philippians. Um, if you're new with us this morning, we're um, venturing on, good timing for you to jump in on the front end of a, front end of a book. We're two weeks into this book of uh, Philippians, and we've entitled um, the series, um, Encouraged to Press On, and um, if you weren't here last week, or the week uh, before, I'd encourage you go, uh, to go back and listen to those two messages. Uh, the first given by Pastor Dan two weeks ago, and then uh, last week by Jake. Um, both did a great job um, setting up the stage of Philippians and also um, walking through uh, the first several verses. So I know that you'd be blessed by that. Um, Philippians is a unique book uh, written by Paul um, to his dear and beloved partners in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church in Philippi, 
where Paul is in prison, right? Most likely in the city of Rome, um, encouraging these dear saints, these dear uh, believers that have struggled hard, that have uh, partnered with Paul for the sake of the gospel to continue on. Um, Unlike um, maybe other epistles that Paul wrote to different churches that dealt with some doctrinal issue, or some um, behavioral sin, uh, some interpersonal conflict. The book of Philippians at large is a book of encouragement. Paul encourages the humble church in Philippi to, to keep on keeping on. Keep pressing on for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. It's a call to partner for the sake of this gospel. And that's the call of the New Testament, if you think about it. That if we have been people that have been purchased, if you've placed your faith in uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the payment of your sin, um, you have been freed from the penalty and the power of sin Yes, and you've been saved unto the fellowship and the union with the God of all creation, your daddy. Where the orientation of our life has changed, where we are now not just called to be beneficiaries of the gospel, but be partners in pressing the gospel on to advance the gospel for the benefit of others. And there's numerous texts that support this biblical theme. We think of the Great Commission found in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 28. We think of uh, 2 Corinthians 5 where we're called uh, as ministers of reconciliation. Acts chapter 2 or Romans chapter 10 and so on and so on. The biblical call to all believers of Jesus is to go by God's grace and in his power to go and advance the kingdom of God by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing this letter to this little church in Philippi, to these humble people in Philippi, and he just says, press on. Keep going, faithful saint. Keep pressing on. Keep going. And the question that stood out to me as I was thinking about that idea of pressing on, the call to go and the, the reality that we're encouraged to press on, I asked, I asked myself the question, how's my going going this morning? How's your going going? If you had to answer that question this morning, what answer might you give? How's your going going? Now, maybe before we get too far down that road, we might ask the question, well, how would I begin to assess that? Right? How would I know how my going is going? Uh, thankfully, I think the text that we're going to look at this morning will shine some light on that. And my prayer would be that we would be encouraged to continue to press on. That these uh, verses would, by God's grace, encourage you, encourage me to press on for the advancement of the gospel.
So uh, this morning we're going to look at these uh, verses that Jason read. And we're going to ask, how does what we find there in these verses help us assess how your going is going? Uh, put another way, we're going to look at these verses and see what we ought to believe about the advancement of the gospel and how that relates to us here at Windsor Community Church. Awesome? So let's press on. That's the last time I will do that. <laughs> Please uh, join me if you haven't already. And open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And I'm just going to reread a couple verses and we'll pause. Uh, starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my prison is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul begins this uh, these section of text like he um, starts many other sections of text. He says, I want you to know, or some other ways is, I, I don't want you to be ignorant of. I want you to be informed that. My imprisonment, the circumstances that I, Paul, find myself in, has really served to advance the gospel. I think it's uh, the NASB, any NASB users in the audience? I think the NASB, good for you, uh, the NASB, I think, says it this way. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That term progress has its roots found in a military term often used for the advancement of troops through rough terrain by means of the advanced scouts moving uh, uh, barriers um, in front of them. So the, the, the progress that Paul says that he has had by God's grace is one that has been brought about through painful and laborful work. Verse 13 and verse 14 tell us what it produced, what his uh, painful and laborful work produced. It has two parts. The first one's found in verse 13. He says that through Paul's circumstances, his imprisonment, God saved people. The gospel was advanced. We see that this at the very end of Philippians in chapter 4 where Paul uh, gives his final greetings. You can flip there if you'd like. It's almost at the very end of that chapter. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. These individuals that Paul is talking about are the individuals that God saved because of the circumstance that God placed Paul in. That God put Paul in prison so that Paul might faithfully proclaim the gospel to them and God saved them. That's the first direct way that the gospel was advanced. The second we find in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So because of Paul's imprisonment, God, he stirred up boldness among his church 
to further the advancement of the gospel in other places. Paul saw his imprisonment, his circumstances, as an opportunity to advance the gospel. These circumstances, although surely things that Paul would not have chosen for himself, no doubt, weren't obstacles in the way of gospel progress. No, Paul says they're quite the opposite. Paul says that they were the exact opportunity that these circumstances in some crazy way, arguably a way we will never fully understand, was the means by which God placed Paul to leverage Paul for the advancement of the gospel. Consider that with me for a moment. Like how ironic is it actually that you have a, a man that's in chains in prison like there might not possibly be a, a better picture of the idea of being restrained or being confined or being along a path and then that's like a roadblock in the progress of your life and yet Paul says that this very circumstance is what God used to put Paul in the place to proclaim the gospel so that God might set the captives free. Now, I don't think Paul was blind to the difficulty of this circumstance. I don't think Paul was a man that had uh, no fear in the midst of hard circumstances. I don't think Paul was a man of perfect faith. In, uh, in all circumstances, but he seems to be a man that believed that God placed him into circumstance to leverage them for the gospel and the advancement of the gospel. Where would you say you're at this morning? What circumstances do you find yourself in this morning? whether they are extremely hard, relatively easy, fun circumstances, or extremely difficult. Where are you this morning? A phrase that is, not sure if Windsor Community Church came up with it, or Mountain View Community Church, or whomever, but the, the question's like, what season of life are you in right now? We use that phrase a lot, season of life. How's your going going in the context of those circumstances that you find yourself in this morning? Maybe a, a helpful diagnostic question, at least it was helpful for me, that you might consider is, do we see our current season of life, the circumstances, as obstacles or opportunity for the advancement of the gospel? How do you perceive them? Now, um, none of us are in the exact same uh, circumstances. Some of us have overlap. Like maybe some overlap might be the idea of parenting. We're parenting. Emily and I are parenting. We have young kids. Some of you have much older kids. Some of you have kids out of the house, right? Um, as you consider your going in the context of parenthood, do you find yourself seeing this stage of life as an obstacle 
to continued partnership in the advancement of the gospel or as an opportunity that God has sovereignly placed you in to help propel the gospel message. Maybe you're like me. Man, I see my work, my occupation, most times as an obstacle to gospel advancement, not an opportunity. Maybe you're transitioning from one stage of a life to another. Maybe you're graduating. Maybe you're going to get a new job. Maybe you're relocating. Uh, maybe you're going to get married. Uh, maybe you're going to have another kid. I mean, there's, life is a, is a dynamic thing, is it not? Circumstances come and go, do they not? If you're like me, I buy into the lie that the grass is always greener somewhere else. It's just this circumstance, get over this circumstance, the next circumstance will be better, right? There may be some truth to that. Maybe the circumstance is a difficult, difficult relationship that you have right now. How do you see that difficult person that God has placed in your life as an obstacle or as an opportunity for the gospel? How's your going going? Maybe it has something to do with the way that we encounter and we engage with circumstances and difficulties along this path as we go. I think it's important to, to hear this. Um, my heart here is, is not to belittle the circumstance that you're in. There is some hard stuff out there. Lots of hard, painful, difficult stuff heartbreaking stuff. And, and I don't want us to be blind to that hardship. Just toughen up. That's not the message this morning. Some circumstances have taken greater perseverance, more tears, more struggle. Some of you have gone through things that I can only imagine. I have no real life experience for that. But in the midst of those things, do we see God working it out for his good and his perfect will? Could we hope for God's gospel advancing in the midst of suffering and brokenness and the circumstances that we're in? So, possibly a helpful question you might ask yourself that you could consider when you're asking, how's your going going? Is this, are you one that sees opportunity or only obstacles in your life, circumstances that God has placed you in right now? Do you see the providential circumstances that God has placed you in right now as an obstacle towards advancing the gospel or an opportunity I ran across this text a couple years ago, Acts chapter 17, verse 26 through 27. Many of you know it. It says, and he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to dwell on all the face of the earth. Here's the kicker. Having determined allotted periods when you'd live 
and boundaries where you live of their dwelling place so that they would seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. See, so God has drawn up when you would live, where you live, your co-workers, your children's friends, your children's teammates, your children's classmates, and he's placed you in proximity to them so that they may seek God and perhaps find him. That seems to be one of the greatest concerns that Paul has, not just in these couple verses, but also in the verses that we're going to talk about in a couple minutes, that the saints of God would proclaim the salvation of God. So, let's continue on in verse 15. Let's read that together. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Um, this is a perplexing text. Does anybody want to come in and tap me out and come up and teach on this? That'd be great. No? Okay. So, then here's my swing at it. Um, some people have said that these teachers might have been the same Judaizers that followed Paul around trying to refute um, the gospel message that Paul was laying out um, for people. Okay. Um, I think that's wrong uh, because in verse 15, uh, Paul says that they do indeed preach Christ. So there must have been some um, genuine proclamation of the gospel that they were proclaiming. Some proclamation of faith through grace, not a result of works, that they were teaching. So it's, it's not the message that is uh, in question here. Uh, instead, it's the motives of the messenger that are wanting. So here's a possible explanation. explanation. I'm not taking a bullet for this. Just remember that. It's plausible that Paul shows up in the city of Rome and the church is already there. And Paul begins to proclaim the gospel as Paul would do. And maybe, possibly, there's leaders or individuals that are a part of this church and their influence because of Paul's arrival starts to lessen. And they're not too happy about that. And so, jealous of Paul's fame and influence... They thought that it would be a great idea to take advantage of his incarceration and stick it to Paul by building their own influence and fame by way of proclaiming the gospel. Now, those aren't the only individuals that are discussed in these verses. Uh, these envious 
individuals are compared to those who proclaim Christ out of goodwill for the benefit of others and the glory of God. But regardless of their motives, what's Paul's response? Regardless if they proclaim Christ in truth or in pretense, regardless if they proclaim Christ for their own appearance's sake, that's what pretense means, okay, uh, I rejoice. Paul says, I call that a win. I don't understand that, to be quite honest with you. See, what, what's Paul saying here? That motives really don't matter when somebody's proclaiming the gospel? Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. Mainly because later on in this very letter, he says, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Chapter 2, verse 3. And yet, Paul says that he's rejoicing in their proclamation. Why? Because Paul is about the advancement of the gospel. See, Paul desires that the gospel press on in every opportunity, that the gospel might prevail over every obstacle. That's where Paul is. By God's grace, Paul isn't sidetracked with some personal differences that he and some of these other guys or gals might have. These interpersonal tiffs. See, Paul isn't about building his following. Paul isn't about building his little kingdom. Paul hasn't lost the, the forest amongst the trees. Instead, he celebrates the advancement of the gospel whenever, however, and by whomever, if it's the true gospel. Uh, Paul wasn't interested in making disciples of Paul. Or getting caught up in the, in the battles of the male ego. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 4 through 7. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are we not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each, I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God gives the growth. So I, I, I don't think that Paul is excusing wrong motives here. But I do think that he is articulating the importance of the advancement of the gospel through its proclamation that the main thing ought to stay the main thing. That these distinctions whether they're personal, uh, theological, missional, or structural, they ought not zap our rejoicing of the true gospel when it's being proclaimed and advancing. That first things stay first. 
And for Paul, that's the gospel. The reality that we were dead in sin and trespassing before God, but God sent his son to live, to die three days later, be rose victoriously from the grave, that if we believe, that we trust in his work on the cross, that we're not only forgiven our sin, not only washed and seen as perfect, but we are brought with God to be with God, your daddy. That's the gospel message. That is what all believers are sent out to go share. So, how's your going going? If we want to continue to be a people, to be a church that sees opportunity and not just obstacles then we're going to have to continue to be reminded of this right here. That there's lots of side roads, lots of them, lots of detours to travel down as we go. Some of them are obvious, right? Because they're an outright rejection of our mission or our values, and it doesn't take long to notice that you've U-turned. Others are more subtle. But if we want to continue to press on, to continue to run hard for the advancement of the gospel, then we must keep Jesus Christ and his gospel advancement center in focus. Now, that may just seem too simple. Sadly, I think if we look out at the church, Big C, not this church, Big, Big C Church as a whole, and as I look at myself in the mirror, I know that I've taken some pretty heavy detours at times. Most times, they have been subtle ones. Some of them have to do with my Windsor Community Church pride, actually. The pride that I have in our church network, actually. Pride in our distinctions that can, if I'm not careful, overshadow the priority of the gospel and the advancement of the gospel that transcends church lines. I've taken subtle detours when it comes to parenting my kids. Where our good convictions that Emily and I have, how we parent, how we discipline our kids, whether we're going to send them to private school, public school, or homeschool them, has caused me to lose sight of my going. Or caused disunity in my heart towards other believers who are partners in the gospel, by the way, who have different opinions on those parenting methods than Emily and I do. Where it has, at times, poisoned the spirit of celebrating with them when the gospel is working in their lives and other places and other churches. Where I've been far more marked by those distinctions of parenthood 
than I am about, about God's gospel and his advancement. I've taken subtle, subtle detours when it comes to the way that my family wants to celebrate holidays. How silly is that? Where our good values and our good uh, traditions can cause divisions between us and our extended family, who are partakers in the gospel, by the way. Because they want a Christmas tree, and I, I'm just not about that. We can talk about it later, right? But, but that little issue, that little thing, I can get bent out of shape. I've taken subtle detours on lots, lots of church preferences. Lots of them. Which podcast preachers people are listening to? God ain't working in that. The way the church down the road worships. The preferred age of the pulpit teacher. The way they checked in the kids in the front here and so on and so on and so on. Some of those are good things. Don't, don't misunderstand. Some of those opinions, some of those convictions are good things. Please hear that. But they can become subtle detours. Where they can quickly become our focus. Where we don't just have opinions or convictions on things, but we can at times, if you're like me, let those distinctions overshadow my ability to see what God might be doing over there. Where instead of celebrating the advancement of the gospel over there, I'm far too focused on what they aren't doing or what things they are doing that they ought to do different that fits in the way that I think they should be done. It is easy to lose sight of the gospel as we go. I am truly grateful for this church, for you all, that desire to be about the gospel and the advancement of the gospel that we, and we do it imperfectly, yes we do. First one to admit, we do it imperfectly. But in the core of who we are, we want to stay fixed on Jesus. That we want to trust him as we go, trust him in his sovereign plan to redeem that which might seem as an obstacle and leverage it by God's, uh, for God's glory as an opportunity. So thankful for this church body that is doing for one another what Paul is trying to do for the Philippian church. Keep going. Keep pressing on. To continue on, to ask one another how the going is going. To enter in with 
one another, to celebrate together, to weep with one another, to go together. Let us continue to be a church that asks one another how the going is going. Let us continue to see our life circumstances as opportunity for God's advancement of the gospel through us, yeah? Let us continue to be a church that fixes our eyes on Jesus and his gospel, not getting entangled in the the subtle, subtle detours as we go. My prayer is that we continue to be a church that just keeps pressing on. By God's grace, yeah? Amen? Amen. We're going to take the opportunity to celebrate um, communion together as a family this morning. Um, Because we're, uh, if you're here this morning and you um, profess faith in Jesus, we've been united by the blood of Jesus as a family of families. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us that God has given us communion um, so that we might remember and proclaim Jesus' death until he returns. Um, how, how, how interesting that God knew that we, need, we needed to fight to keep Jesus centered as we go. I mean, arguably, that's what communion is purposed for. There's no salvific merit in this. This does not save you by participating in it, but it ought to stir our hearts towards remembering and proclaiming what it is that our king has done for us, right? Um, That he's made it possible to be united with him in his fellowship. So um, if you you are here this morning and you haven't uh, professed professed faith in Jesus, we just ask that you um, wait um, we're going to um, have the worship team come up. They're going to play in the background. We can just uh, walk up as you feel led. Um, go ahead and take um, the, the, the bread, which represents his body broken for us, the, the juice, which is the blood that has been um, spilt on our behalf for our sin. Um, go ahead and take it back to your seats um, and spend some time um, worshiping the Lord remembering and exercising the gospel, thinking about the reality of our need and that Jesus is the remedy for you. Um, that he, has, uh, he is literally your sin eater. Uh, that he has overcome um, the grave on, for your behalf and he's brought you before his daddy and that's how the daddy sees you now, as perfect. So, Let us exercise that this morning um, and just encourage you to spend some time praying. Maybe pray as family units. Uh, Maybe pray individually. And then um, when when Chris feels led, um, he's going to lead us, continue to lead us in worshiping the Lord through song. and, um, and, And then we'll go out into the city of Windsor. So, um, let's go ahead and have the worship team come up as I pray. And then just as you feel led... Um, feel free to come up and grab the elements. Lord Jesus, uh, we want to be uh, people that are, that are marked by uh, the reality of, of being centered on you, that we would not be uh, people that detour off the path of our mission to advance your gospel and parked in 
um, some of these hobby horses that are so easy to hop on, Lord Jesus. Maybe good things, God, maybe good convictions that you've given us, but Lord Jesus, I just pray that um, those things are always subservient um, to you and to um, our worship of you and our preference of you. And I pray that um, as we go from here, that we would be people that desire to see um, the circumstances that you placed in my own life, the life of my family, the life of these families, God, as opportunities for you to advance the gospel. God, that we would not shy away, but that we would believe wholeheartedly that you go with us as we go. That we do not go um, in our own strength, but that you um, sovereignly and lovingly go with us, that you go before us. Lord Jesus, as Acts chapter 17 says, that you've um, prescribed all of this so that people might seek you and find you, Lord Jesus. So I just pray that we would be a church that um, continues to prioritize the worship of the gospel personally, and that that would infuse a love and affection for the world that we live in. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Feel like it was fitting to read from Matthew 28, starting in verse uh, 18. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us go unto him with him, because he goes with you. Amen? Let's go together. Mm. Mm -hmm.